Listener Production. On today's episode of Footy Talk, Jude Bolton joins us to run through all of the action from Anzac Day and what a day it was. Attendance records were broken and the Pies did what the Pies do, coming back from a 28-point deficit to steal the win. We also chat Tassie with the developments over the last 24 hours and it would be remiss of us not to touch on the Swans with one of their 325 gamers in studio. That's all coming up on Footy Talk. Welcome back to Footy Talk, your daily dose of footy with all the latest news, interviews and analysis from the world of AFL. Abby Holmes here. What a treat we have for you today. A two-time premiership player, 325 gamer and Rush Hour Sydney's very own Jude Bolton joining us down the line. Jude, always great to see you. Great to see you, Abs. And we're going to get stuck straight into it because what a massive day it was yesterday at the MCG. Records were broken. 95,179 people in attendance. The biggest Anzac Day crowd um, since, the, the you know, we started these Anzac Day clashes back in 95 and it was also the second highest home and away game crowd of all time. It was unbelievable to see, wasn't it? Oh, phenomenal. And the fact that both teams were coming in on great form. Mm. I mean, Collingwood had beaten the top of the table, St Kilda. Uh, so it was just great to see them both in good form and everyone just just getting around the, the moment of Anzac Day and, and the reverence that we cover it with. Yeah, you need to look back to the year 2000 where both these two sides were travelling as well as they are heading into around six Anzac Day clash. But what a, an incredible performance it was by the Collingwood Footy Club. 28 points down at three-quarter time. And Essendon had put together a really strong three-quarters of footy, but you just knew, didn't you? I, I was on the boundary yesterday. 28 points is nothing for these pies, and you just knew that they were going to steamroll home. Well, that's what Craig McRae's built with this side. They've just got this incredible belief that no matter what stage of the game, they are right in the thick of it. Um, 28 points, as you mentioned, I thought it was sort of almost unassailable, the fact that they were getting beaten around the contested elements, even though yeah. Dacos had had plenty of the football, even till three quarter time um, you know that, there's just that ability that you know uh, Essendon had just to to get forward Langford was looking dangerous inside forward 50 but they turned the tables and Essendon looked shell-shocked in that final quarter. Frampton really got them going in that fourth term a massive contested clunk he went back and slotted the goal and that was the start of something pretty special that we witnessed. He was up against it yesterday, wasn't he? Draper and Phillips, that combination coming in, they combined for five goals the previous week against the Ds, but he held his own, didn't he? He did. And I thought, like, Draper looked so damaging early. He kicked the first goal yeah. of the game, Abs, and, you know, he looked like, hang on, this he's going to have a big day. And um, as we spoke about, I mean, even just the, the on-ball brigade for Essendon were sweeping the ball away in that opening term. Um, but he just dug in, and that's what you need from your ruckman, just to be able to give you a bit of first use and compete in the air. Um, and that's what he did. And and I tell you what, just the, the way that they were able to come home, it was just phenomenal to watch. And you could see the crowd just, it was, it was deafening there, I, I can only imagine. It was insane. I actually can't even describe the, the final term. And I actually had to go to the movies last night. I went and watched Air because I got home and I was so razzed up um, just with, I, I guess, the electric atmosphere down there. But... Nick Dacos, I need to ask you about this young man. He had 40 disposals, two goals. So this was the third time 
this season that he's had 30 plus and kicked two. Any other player in the competition has just done this once. Yeah. He won the, the Anzac Day Best on Ground medal and deserved to win that, that award. But I'm just absolutely gobsmacked. Um, just the consistency that he's putting together in this season, he, he doesn't have a bad game, does he? Well, people talk about the second year blues. Like this is unbelievable second year of AFL football, and in his quality and standard of uh, you know of play, I, I mean, I've no doubt that he's probably leading the Brownlow at this point, mm. and you know he's. But the way he can just impact the ball, not only off half back, you know, they throw him in middle in the middle, and he's been able to you know execute and bring out some clearances and get get his team involved. But just late in the game, being able to go thrust himself forward, kick a couple of goals when they desperately needed it, um, it can can be no more impactful sort of game on the big stage. And we talk about that is there's no bigger than Anzac Day in terms of a home away atmosphere. And um, so yeah, this he's just uh, he's a phenomenal player to watch. Yeah, elite ball user. His efficiency is incredible. But Darcy Moore would have been a very, very proud skipper. And I'll tell you what, I was proud listening to his post-match interview once he got handed the trophy. Let's take a listen because this brought me to tears. No matter whether you wear the black and white stripes or the red sash, this game's about so much more than the four points. So you turning up today and showing your support means a lot and we're incredibly proud to play our part in this game. He's all class, isn't he? He's going to be a pretty good leader for this footy club, isn't he? Absolutely. That was just a a phenomenal speech under the, you know, the focus and limelight of uh, of a post-game like that when, you know, he just executed so well in terms of being able to bring everyone in and all those that are impacted by war and um, I just he just oozes class, Darcy, and um, you know even seeing him the other week where he wrapped his arms around Nicky Winmar at the smoking ceremony um, to mark that fateful day where you know Nicky sort of had to lift up his his shirt and and show how proud he was of his indigenous culture in front of the Collingwood supporters. Um, yeah, he looks you know looks to be just the exactly the leader that they want down there and um, to take that group forward. He spoke so well. Yes, it was such a, you know, a massive day yesterday and the significance of it, it is so much more um, than just about the four points. But Craig McRae as well, he's so chill. (laughs) I had a quick chat to him pre-game. Just his coaching style, you know, you would have experienced so many different styles across your journey, but just looking at Fly and they laugh things off now, don't they? The Pies, if they make a mistake, there's no, you know, really, I guess, focusing on that and focusing on the negatives. He's, he's really got this playing group gelled incredibly strongly, but they just have fun as well, well don't they? They seem so relaxed. Well, you could see even when Braden Maynard had that, you know, mm. terrible execution of a kick in and yeah. Wiedemann just jumped all over it. He put his hand up. He even had a smile on his face. He was just like, you know, that's not me. And that's the way, you know, Craig McRae has just impressed upon him. Even that last year when you know, they, they, they were you know, des- desolate after a loss and he sat, they sat down he said, that's not us. You know, we're, we're winners and we want to propose ourselves as winners constantly. And he's, he's impressed upon that mindset and that's why they mm. they stay in the game. They, they keep that uh, momentum going forward. And oh, they're just so exciting to watch. We knew that they were, you know, last year was such an incredible platform for them. They, uh, they were one kick away. A grand final, but you know that that confidence they've got from staying in those games last year and being the most watchable side um, is is taken into this year. I think we've all touched on it, but we all want to be adopted by Craig McRae, it seems. <laughs> but Brad, 
Brad Scott, um, yeah, before we move on to the big stories of the last 24 hours, the effort, it was there. Um, he, he certainly will be disappointed that his side wasn't able to finish off, but the Bombers have shown a bit in the first six rounds and they certainly showed a, a lot in that you know, three quarters of footy yesterday. Absolutely, and and that's the the hallmark of a Brad Scott uh, coach side is they're hard to play against. Um, you know, that into three quarter time, they they absolutely looked like they were home in that sense because it, it worked. The, the team had worked so hard to be in the position they were. Um, they'll learn from that. I mean, that, that was you know, thirty minutes of football that got away from him in the last quarter, and they. Mm. Um, he spoke after the game. He said, "Look, we've looked like we'd run out of petrol tickets, and and um, you know they've." They've stopped at the servo, uh, Collingwood, and, and topped up. So you know he'll he'll be able to you know coach that team and, and take them forward. But they're right into it. Yeah. They're, they're looking uh, terrific this year, and I love the the development of some of their players. Archie Perkins has taken another step forward, and, and the likes yeah. Mason Redman had was outstanding yesterday. So you know there's some um, there's players under there who've really grown under his tenure. Mm. Yeah, they've taken big steps in the first six rounds. Hopefully, Jaden Laverde's left shoulder. Yeah isn't bad. He's such a critical piece to their back line. So he got subbed out of the game in that third quarter yesterday. So there'll be a watch on that over the next few days. But I could sit here and talk about that game for hours, but we do need to move on to some of the biggest stories in footy today. First of which we're going to go to Tassie. So Brent Costello from Win News in Tassie is reporting that the federal government will fund the $240 million shortfall required for a brand spanking new 23,000 seat stadium in Hobart. Um, Tassie, it just seems to be edging a little closer, doesn't it? This is massive. You know, we've we've sort of been waiting for this uh, federal budget to come out and, uh, you know, the fact that there's there's inklings that it will be signed off is just phenomenal for Tassie football. I know there's been so many um, stakeholders down there have pushed hard for this over so many years um, mm. to think that it's almost at fruition. It's uh, it's a phenomenal effort and, you know, they, they do that one. It's, you know, we, we can't um, disregard those traditional um, states. We've put so much emphasis into some of the northern states and mm. non-traditional markets, but, you know, uh, I think it's it'll be a phenomenal uh, thing to get across the line. I was always a bit uncertain of does that need to be, um, I guess, the clause that gets us across the line, the, the fact that a whole new stadium, they've got two good quality stadiums down there. We know that Tassie split a little bit north and south as well. Yeah. But <laughs> but for, them, for the AFL to broker that with state and federal government, that is just a big windfall and it, it opens up for future events down there for other, other things as well. So... Um, yeah, it's a, it, you know, if, if it gets across the line, it's hats off to Gil McLaughlin and all the, all the team there. Still a number of boxes to tick on that front, but the 19th team comes into the competition, Jude Bolton. Where, where do you even start? Obviously, we've seen it with the Suns and we've seen it with GWS, but... Where do you look first? Oh, look, it's it's first and foremost, it's like, um, you know, populating the team. We've seen that in the NRL in terms of fielding a, a new side in the Dolphins. And, you know, you've got to give them the leeway to, to be able to, you know, put the list together that's going to be competitive early on. Um, and that's so hard to do. We don't want to make sure that the, uh, um, you know, we're diluting the, the talent pool. But, you know, we want them also flourishing early. If, if that comes in, mm-hmm. we want the 19th team really uh, performing well and competitive. That's the main thing. It'll take time to, to build that. But uh, I know that Dazzy people, you know, they've been pushing this for so long. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll, get, they'll get around this side. 
As he said, Gil McLaughlin, he, this is his last hurrah, isn't it? I don't want him to leave anyway. I absolutely love that man as the CEO of the AFL. Um, but you just get the sense that, yeah, he's, he's looking to get this one tucked away and then he will step aside. Great start by you. We need to take a break. and We've got Ethan Meldrum on the other side. Welcome back to Footy Talk. Jude Bolton joins us today and Ethan Meldrin's just jumped in studio. Ethan, always great to see you. Good to see you, Abs. Good to see you, Jude. How are you? Great to see you, Yeah, really well, mate. Hey, you've got three takeouts from the longest weekend, it feels like, in footy. Friday was a very, very long time ago, but you want to kick it off. Number one, Nick Dacos, of course. Yeah, I can't not talk about him again. It's just remarkable the number numbers he's putting up so far. Of course, he had 40 and two yesterday. Crazy. What, crazy. Won the Anzac Day medal. It's not the first time in his career he's done that. He had 40 and three against Adelaide uh, midway through last season. I was looking at in the all... Wind. Yeah, in the wet as well at Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Remarkable game, that one. I was looking at all the players, all the occurrences of players to have 40 touches and multiple goals in the game. He's done it twice in his 30, like in 31 games so far in his career. By far the quickest anyone's ever done it multiple mm-hmm. times. Mark Bairstow did it in 56 games. Tom Mitchell, 89. John Greening, 94. They're the only players to do it within 100 games. Yeah. You look at some of the modern-day greats. So like Gary Ablett. Took 151 games for him to do it. Dustin Martin, 156. Dane Swan, 184. Lee Matthews, 160. That's how long it took those players to get to that level. And Nick Dacos is doing it already. Quickest in history. A side note to that, all of the occurrences are 40 and 2. Jude Bolton... Against the Western Bulldogs, round 10, 2012, on that list as well. Oh, have a look at him. Oh, have a look oh, at him. He was hoping that to, you were going to throw that it, out there. I, I wanted you to miss it, just so <laughs> I could just bring it up. No, no. I'm joking. No, that, I mean, no you I, didn't. Look, you were look, sitting I, there going, what about me? What's <laughs> my name? I, I can see that face reminiscing from here, Jude. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was a decent day out, mate. But no, look, you, you look at that young man, and even the fact that his dad, Peter, just says, look, what he's, what he's being able to deliver is way above what I delivered already, and mm. you go, I mean, he was he was just phenomenal to watch Peter Dacos play and, you know, what Nick's being able to do now. And his brother's just on yeah. in incredible form as well. So it's um, it's a quality family. You can imagine the fun Peter Dacos going to watch his two boys play the calibre of football that he's playing in front of big crowds week in, week out. And you saw that yesterday, didn't you? The, the <laughs> level of emotion from the Dacoses in the box watching their two boys go about their business. But Nick, he's so humble. You know, Mm, I've been mm. fortunate enough to obviously interview him post-game on a a number of occasions this year already, and he's so humble. He doesn't put himself up there as a a Brownlow medal favourite, you know. He just goes out there, he's just a a young kid trying to get a kick and play some footy, but he's doing it very, very bloody well. Mm. When he's got Josh Giddy sliding onto his Instagram saying, lol, Brownlow. Oh, my goodness. Hey, you, you know you know you're doing something right when Josh Giddy is sliding into your DMs, don't you? <laughs> he's going I okay. I love what Craig McRae said, though. Craig was just going, like, he's the first in there the next day to watch some tape, yeah. um, work he's on his sponge. hands. Like, mm. yeah, he's just looking to just immerse himself in the game and, mm. and you know, it's, it's reflective in his performance. And I feel like, and I've said this before, but I feel like the way that he's come in since he, he got drafted and just dominated the league, that's... I don't know if it's a brotherly rival thing, but his brother has taken his game to another level as well because he's like, mate, you're not the only one that's going to get the attention here. I'm going to lift 
I'm going to take my game to another level and we're going to do it together. Yeah, he had 30 yesterday and mm-hmm. just is not getting spoken about at all. <laughs> Poor guy. I know. Shout out to Josh Dacos. Well done. Great game yesterday. Oh, no, he's a phenomenal wingman. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to bring a Josh Dacos stat in every you week, do. I think, to make up for all the Nick love that he's getting. Yeah. Second on the list, uh, and probably, I'm going to say, the only player, maybe, or the only midfielder in the competition that can rival Nick Dacos in terms of numbers at the moment is Marcus Bontempelli. Put up the highest rated game. Again, you say it was a long weekend. This was this, 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 was, this was round six. It was ages ago. Uh, Marcus Bontempelli put up the highest rated game of the season, according to the player ratings on Friday night. Uh, 33 points, way above what anyone should do. Toby Green was the next like next best rated game, uh, the, the next player to reach like that sort of mm. height when he kicked seven against the Dogs last year back in June. Highest rated game since then with his 31 touches, two goals. He's the number one rated player in the game at the moment, averaging 22 mm. rating, ratings points per game. You're looking at all the players to have 30 touches, 10 tackles, multiple contested marks and multiple goals. Only the sixth time that's ever happened in the AFL. Josh Dunkley's done it. Jimmy Bartel's done it. Not many other players have done it. So you was doing everything on Friday night. Hey, he was even taking hangouts, Jude. Exactly. <laughs> he's put that in his armoury as well. And no, we've all just, you know, take our hats off to a, a man who's just like Nick Dacos, stepped into his career and had such an impact from the get-go. Um, but, you know, he's, he's an incredible leader, the Bont, and, and just his quality of play around the stoppages and then being able to impact when he goes forward as well, just mm. phenomenal. Mm. Game 200 on the weekend as well coming up. So Big week. He's, he's arguably got the best CV of anyone to reach 200 games at the moment with the Premiership nearly, like, you know, multitude of BNFs, Brownlow votes as well. So, mm. shout out to him. The third one, and I apologise in advance, oh, please, is please. the Sydney Swans. Their biggest loss under John Longmire, biggest loss in 25 years. Mm. Their worst ever back-to-back results against Geelong. Once you once you go in tandem with the grand final, their fifth worst against any team of all time in that regard. Obviously, had 81 points and then 93 points on the weekend, and eerie similarities to the grand final last year. So you look at you look at the last Saturday night, and you look at the grand final. So Geelong fast start, Sydney kick three of the last five leading mm. into half time. They did that in both games. Yeah. And then Geelong on Saturday night then conceded or then kicked nine in a row. They went nine and oh in the second half. On grand final day, they kicked six in a row and ran away with the game. All the all the stoppage numbers as well, really similar as well. So on the grand final, they were plus four clearances, minus 50 points from stoppage, which is ridiculous. Mm. Uh, uh, on Saturday night, they were minus one clearance, so pretty level, and they were minus 47 points from stoppages. Holy moly. Crazy. Ethan, yeah. take a breath. No. You've just kicked them. You've kicked <laughs> them while they're down. It's, it's just no. in, insane it how is. similar it was to yeah. what happened last year, Jude. You've experienced these grand final rematches in the past, obviously a two-time premiership player with the Swans yourself, but you go out there all guns blazing, thinking we were absolutely embarrassed on grand final day in September last year. You're pumped up, you're raring to go, but then to come out and put that out again. It was an insipid performance. And and yes, they can talk about uh, injuries to keep position players and the like, but the likes of, say, some Kilda, you know, have had enormous number of injuries and they've been able to go out there and, and put performances in mm. that, that warrant, you know, like true effort. And, and my big concern around the Swans is the fact that the injuries haven't come through the midfield, but they were belted, as you mentioned, Ethan, um, you know, from stoppage and from clearance and the, the efforts of, you know, Atkins and um, uh, Dangerfield and the like, where they were just 
winning the ball in tight, they'd get it out and stream away. Max Holmes streaming away from contest. And then, you know, it was just a hiding of nothing. When you see Callum Mills, one of the best two-way runners uh, in mm. the game, uh, one-on-one with uh, yeah, Hawkins, Hawk. you're like, he's just a hiding to nothing. So uh, they've got they've got a lot of work to do. And, and we talk a little bit about the mental scars of those lost, the loss in the grand final and now a big secondary loss. But it's also the the confidence that now Geelong has when they go into that next battle, if it's a, I don't know, a final or something like that, they just know that, hang on, we've got their measure if we put the effort around the contest and then get it forward to a, to a, a dominant forward line. So what are you doing this week if you're John Longmire and the leadership group? You get back, you regroup, um, you go again, yes, but... How do you how do you move on from that so quickly? And on the injury front, Jude, who who've they got coming back? Hopefully, you know over the le- the next few weeks. Yeah, there's not a lot coming back. I mean, they're hopeful that um, uh, Tom McCartan will be back and and Buddy potentially. So mm-hmm. like, there's there's those sort of players that could come back in. Tom's been a, a phenomenal player. You know, we know that Paddy's going to take some time. So, um, it, but they've already lost. You know, Robbie Fox is um, out with the concussion. Uh, Matt Roberts is um, out as well. So yeah, they've got some real challenges from that that perspective. Um, you know, I think from from John Longmire's idea, like I think you've got to keep the confidence going in this side. They would review it brutally, but then it's like, how do we lift their confidence? Because one thing Ethan had probably talked to us a little bit as well, they're, they're, they're lacking their, their leg skills, which has been a real prominent uh, feature of their game. They've previously been able to cut sides up, but mm-hmm. they're turning the footy over, and that just plays into the fact that they've got an undermanned or undersized defence at the moment. So, um, yeah, they've got, they've got a lot of work to do, and whether the... The, those, those cracks initially were papered over by two soft games to start the season. They yeah. played Hawks and then uh, the Suns as well in the first two rounds, and everyone goes, "Oh, look, the Swans have bounced back after last year." Well, yeah, they've got they've got some questions to be asked internally. East, they've got GWS. I think it's the Sydney Derby this weekend. Yes, they do. Can you see them bouncing back in that game? I think so. Um, you know, as you were saying, Jude, like they, they do have the runs on the board and like have had the performance so far this year. Obviously, you know, they've been belted by Geelong, a very good team we know. They've lost to Melbourne, but they did play well against Richmond. Um, I think if they get their kicking game back, which was absent on the weekend, they were ranked 17th yeah. for kicking efficiency, but they were ranked like really highly in the competition both last year and this year before that. So hopefully they can. But we always know, and you know as well, Jude, that the Giants are up for that sort of game, aren't they? That, this is a big game always. And, and the Giants, I was down there in Canberra to see them um, take on the Lions, and, and they perform really well. The big the big out for the Giants is Sam Taylor, though. Like missing oh, yeah. 10 weeks with the hammy is just mm. – that's a, a, a real concern for Adam Kingsley because he's just a pillar down in defence. Can't wait to see that one roll mm. out across the round seven. Boys, we've got to wrap up, but thank you so much. Always great to see you both. Thank you, Abby. Great to see you, Jude. Great to see you. Thanks, Jude. You have been listening to Footy Talk. If you have a question for us, hit us up on Instagram at footytalk underscore pod or on TikTok at footytalk podcast. Tomorrow you've got Daisy and Fev in the studio. We'll see you then. Bye. Listener.